flat. Brent Burns with 15. Bennett keeps the puck alive. Kachuk with a shot. He scores! Matthew Kachuk with 12 and 7, 10 seconds remaining in overtime number four. Hey now, what's up everybody, welcome to the Sportscasters, season 13 episode 10, my name is Steve Bennett, it is May 20th, 2023 and I gotta be careful, uh, I've been sick all week, battling a little bit, Crohn's isn't great, cold going around the house, Paul gave it to Tammy, I think Tammy gave it to me, and uh, you'll hear in the interview I do with Mike, uh, not with Mike Triple, but with uh, Jeff Benedict, I start to lose my voice at the end, I was a little bit better today with Underhill and Triplet, um, and we'll see how I do tonight. I'll do the best I can to get through the segments, but excuse me for my voice not being 100%, just a little bit sick down in the weather, stuff going through the house, springtime stuff, no big deal. Um, again, welcome to the show, great show today. Nick Underhill and Mike Triplet from New Orleans South Football are together today. I've said this a bunch of times, um, interviewing in Paris, it's something I really like to do. Something I really want to do more and more of, uh, especially when you have an interesting partnership like you have with Underhill and Triplet. Underhill, he's on the Saints beat. He goes to ESPN to work on the Patriots beat. He wants to come back to New Orleans, can't find anyone to hire him, so he starts his own site, New Orleans South Football. Site does really well, decides to expand. He plucks from ESPN, Mike Triplet, and they come together to form New Orleans South Football, and it's even grown since then with a third hire. Uh, and I really think it's a great site. As a Saints fan, I love it. But they have an interesting story to tell about the site. We don't really talk a lot of Saints football, per se. We talk a little bit more about uh, the, the media aspect of this and and how it came to be, how they came, how Nick convinced Mike to leave the worldwide leader to be part of his family business, essentially. And uh, it's a really interesting story. We find out what drives those guys, how they do their work. Uh, and, uh, of course, we talk a little bit of Saints and Mike Triplett and I at the end play a game called Name That Saint, which I stole from their podcast, uh, is sort of an homage to them. Also on the show today, Jeff Benedict, the author of a book club book called LeBron, is on the show. A really interesting interview. Uh, I'll say this, and I mentioned this as delicately as I could to Jeff with, with being respectful. Uh, Jeff wrote a book with Armin Katayan called Tiger. And to me, it felt like there was a little bit it was a little bit adversarial towards Tiger. They're kind of exposing these things in his life, right? And you'll see Jeff pushes back on that a little bit in the interview, and I, and I get his point. It's fair. This book, it very much felt like Jeff was really on the side of LeBron. That's not the right way to put it. It just felt really warm. It felt more of a celebration of LeBron telling his story. And, and, and Jeff makes a good point, you know, uh, look at LeBron was never chased by his wife on Thanksgiving with a golf club, right? So I get that, but it really felt like, and, and look at, I am not a huge LeBron fan. I think he's a bit of a hypocrite. Um, I think he's a fake activist and uh, I think he's lied to the people about things that have happened in his home, like the spray paint on his fence. 
and Jeff and I get into that, and we agree to disagree, I think, essentially. Uh, but he wrote a great book. LeBron is a great book, uh, and we'll talk to Jeff Benedict about it. Uh, also, tonight, we'll have the book club, uh, and we will do uh, one last thing later as well. First things first, tonight, uh, interesting week of soccer, Calcio, uh, here, the European competitions, all three of them, Champions League, Conference League, and Europa League, are down to two teams, and three of the six left in Europe are from Italy. Uh, one finalist in each competition. We almost had an all-Italian final uh, in the Europa League. We'll get to that in a second. But three teams from Italy, two from England, and one from Spain, and zero from every other country in Europe. A really incredible revival for Calcio this year. An unbelievable uh, rise for Italian soccer. I'm so proud uh, of the um, of the players, the, the international players and the Italian players, of course, who I love and bleed and die for. But well, let's go. Let's go uh, from Conference League and work our way up to Champions League. Uh, <laughs> maybe the most unbelievable thing. Well, first of all, West Ham. Uh, won their game on Thursday. They win 3-1 to one in aggregate. They're in the final. West Ham representing the Premier League. Fiorentina had a much more difficult matchup against uh, Basel. They they were uh, losing uh, going into the uh, to the match, and we're going to need to you know to make up a goal on aggregate. Uh, I think they were down one, two to, two to one. Yeah, two to one going into the game on Thursday. They scored a goal in the 90th, so 90 minutes were played, and then stoppage time, they scored in the ninth minute of stoppage time uh, to win the game. Uh, there was so much stoppage time because a fan had a heart attack in the stands. They had, they had to stop the game for a minute, take care of him. In the dying seconds, Fiorentina gets the goal. Four to three on aggregate, three to one in the game. They'll play West Ham in the final on June seventh at three p.m. Eastern time. So that's Conference League, Europa League. We were this close to an all Italian final. Roma parked the bus like you would not believe. Uh, they they had a one goal advantage. Uh, Bove scored for them in the first leg. They had a one goal advantage against their opponents. And they took one attempt on goal in the second minute. And that was their only attempt on goal the entire game. 0-0 is the final score. Nil-nil. one nothing on aggregate. Roma is in the final. Mourinho has been there two years. Last year, Conference League final. This year, Europa League final. And if they can win it, Champions League football next year. Who knows? Maybe he can go 1-2-3, take Roma to all the finals. We'll see if he can get another trophy this year. Uh, they'll play Sevilla. The darlings of this uh Europa League competition, they've won it like a million times and appeared in the final another couple million. Uh, they beat Juventus 3-2 to two on aggregate. Juventus scored the first goal. Uh, Dusan Vlachovic came onto the onto the pitch around 60 minutes. Him and Chiesa finally subbed into the game. Don't know what took so long. They come in. Dusan scores right away. Uh, then Chiesa makes a soft play, I thought, uh, for Sevilla to tie it. And then they got the winner. And Juventus threw everything they could at them. Uh, just gross, gross time-wasting and nonsense in this. Uh, but on May 31st at 3 o'clock Eastern, Roma and Sevilla will play uh, for the Europa League final. Uh, and that leads us to Champions League. Uh, Inter and AC Milan in the Derby. 
They played on Tuesday, and uh, Inter got another goal. They went 3-0 on aggregated over Milan, and they were the much better team over two legs. They just really were. They've been much better than AC Milan this year, Inter. They've beaten them in three different competitions now, the league. They've beaten them in one of the cups in Italy, and they've beaten them here in Champions League. They've been the better team, and they'll play in the Champions League final, unbelievably. Of all four Italian teams who entered this competition, uh, they would have absolutely been the one I was least likely at the start of the competition to think would be in the final. But they're playing really well. But they're going to be huge underdogs to the beasts from England. Manchester City crushed Real Madrid 4 to nothing, 5-1 in aggregate. They just took the souls out of Benzema, Kareem the Dream, and Madrid and won 4 nothing, and they're going to be very, very difficult to beat in the final on June 10th, Inter and Man City, 3 o'clock as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the odds here. Let's start with Champions League. Um, Manchester City is huge, huge favorites. I've seen it as high as plus 650 for Inter. Um, it's probably more like plus 400 or so. You know, plus 400, minus... Uh, minus 425, something like that um, for Man City. So it's like a 4-1 to one dog. Um, and the interesting thing, I think, is that probably all three Italian teams uh, will be underdogs, I think, in, these, in the finals of these competitions. Um, I don't think, I think West Ham, just based on being from England, will be the favorites over Fiorentina. And I think... Uh, Sevilla, the Dons of that cup, they'll definitely be the favorites over Roma. Um, so three Italian teams and three underdogs. I think that Inter is the most dangerous of all three. And here's the thing. I know, I know Man City is great. They've also never won the Champions League. They're also obsessed with winning the Champions League. They're maybe what Juventus was, uh, when they mortgaged the future and signed, um, signed Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, and went for it and didn't win it. Uh, They're kind of all in. This is Pep's obsession. Uh, They're going to win the league again. They've won it a few times in a row. Premier League. Inter, on the other hand, never did anyone think they'd be here. Uh, Struggling a little bit in the league, inconsistent all year. Seems like they've righted the ship. They're going to be in the top four. They'll be in Champions League again next year. But they've made an incredible run, and Inzaghi really has it figured out. He's got a great rotation up front. Lukaku starts. Lukaku doesn't start. Either way, he brings him in. He gets the most out of him. Uh, DeMarco's been very good for them. Uh, Bastoni and Barella, two of the best Italian players in the world, have been fantastic in the competition. And here's what's going to happen. Nobody is going to pick them to win. Nobody. Every single pundit on every single channel in every single country is going to pick Man City to win, and they're going to pick them to win big. You're going to hear 4-0. You're going to hear 4-1, 3-0. You're going to hear 5-0. They're going to pick them to win and win big. They're going to crown Man City way before this game is played in June. And Inter is going to just bring it into the locker room every day. Right? You can see Inzaghi's head spinning. Another bulletin board, another one, another one, another one. And think about that Monday night football game. You can remember when 30 different people picked the game and they all picked the same team 
and you know inevitably in three and a half hours, old takes exposed is going to have a picture of that because that team didn't win. Inter is a very dangerous team. This is not a best of seven. It's not even an aggregate over two legs. It's knockout football. It's one game on a neutral site. Okay. They're got 90 minutes to stick with Man City to be champions. They're dangerous. Everyone's going to say they're they're not going to win. Everyone's going to crown Man City. And all they have to do is show up and play. If they lose, they were supposed to lose. Great season. Great run. Good job, Inter. Final. Nobody thought you'd be there. You, you got there. Amazing. But if they get a goal early, start putting that doubt in, maybe even at 0-0 at the 75-minute mark, they start to believe they're very dangerous. Very dangerous in this game. And yeah, they might lose. They might lose 4 nothing. They might lose 4-1. They also might win. Maybe they win on penalties. Maybe they win 2-1. to one. Let's, let's see. They, I think they're a better goaltender. I don't know. I think they're dangerous. I'm not saying they're going to win. I just think they're dangerous, and I like their spot. Uh, more on that in the weeks to come. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are down to four. Uh, Vegas and Dallas and Carolina and Florida both have played one game. Both went to overtime. Florida and Carolina played the classic Four overtime game last night. Matthew Tuchuk at the winner. I played the highlight at the beginning. Just before I started this, Vegas, they won game one against Dallas. I picked Dallas and Florida to win. I've been kind of on Dallas for a couple weeks now. Um, but Vegas is going to be a tough out. And they're seven wins away from the cup. And it's starting to make me really nervous. I'm going to be honest. I'm starting to get really nervous that, that Jack Eichel is going to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, I, I'm getting those Ryan Riley vibes all over again, or, or uh, Ryan O'Reilly vibes, excuse me, all over again. And I'm I'm starting to get nervous, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But props to Sean McDonough and Kenny Albert, who both had four fantastic game one overtime calls. I thought, and I think they're both uh, great. We'll we'll follow the follow the chase of the cup here, uh, and see how things go. Uh, the Atlanta Braves. I wonder, and I've been wondering, are they in trouble? Right? Are they in trouble? They've had so many damn injuries uh, to start this season. And, you know, they've come in starting pitching, too. Uh, Kyle Wright just got moved to the 60-day DL. He's going to be out probably till after the All-Star break. Uh, Max Fried is out. He's on the DL. I'm nervous about that. He's not on 60-day yet, but I could easily see him on, ending up there. Um, obviously Soroka is, you know, been injured for three years, so they've had bad luck, uh, with starting pitching, but they've had a ton of injuries early. Uh, Harris has been injured. They've had injuries at the infield. You know, they've called a lot of players up, um, but they've really, really stood up to it. The depth has been really good. They had a bad weekend in Toronto because I think what's happening is the starters haven't gone as far. The bullpen isn't as rested. And, and the bullpen was terrible in Toronto. Uh, to be honest, I wanted to leave the bullpen in Toronto. Um, wasn't a great weekend, but you leave there, you know, after blowing some games in Toronto, and you think, wow, that sucked. And then you went two out of three on the road in Texas against a good Rangers team, and they won tonight against the Mariners. So now suddenly they've won three of four again. 
So just when I start to wonder, are they really in trouble, they bounce back. And they're 28-16. They got a six-game lead in the in the NL East. You know, they're six six games up on the, excuse me, five and a half games on the, the Marlins, six games on the Mets, eight on the Phillies, and, you know, whatever, ten and a half on the Nationals. Uh, but I'm st- I'll be honest, though, I'm worried. But props to Alex and the team he's built and the incredible depth that they've shown and um, just a huge props to Ronald Acuna, who has been the, the best player in baseball uh, by, a, by a long, long mile. Um, shout out to Sean Murphy, the big trade, too. He's had the second best uh, war. Spencer Strider um, is just always exciting. Bryce Elder has been a really uh, pitch tonight, pitched really well. Um, really great ERA. He's done really well, man. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really great team. Uh, but I'm worried. I am worried that those injuries are going to catch up to them, especially with the impact it might have on the bullpen. Uh, speaking of impact, you could argue that no one in the history of sports has had as much of an impact on his sports as Jim Brown did on football. He passed away today at 87 all-time NFL great and social activist Jim Brown uh, passed away at his home in L.A., 87 years old. Uh, his wife put in, in the Instagram, to the world, he was an activist, actor, and football star. But to our family, he was a loving husband, father, and grandfather. Our hearts are broken. Rest in peace, uh, Jim Brown. All right, very last thing here, and we'll move on. The under-20 FIFA World Cup starts this weekend. Uh, 2023, it was originally supposed to be in Istanbul, Istanbul, or no, Indonesia, excuse me. Uh, But because of the pandemic, whatever, it's going to be in Argentina. And uh, it's just something fun to cheer for the Azuri for a few weeks. Um, They uh, were in pot one, um, and the draw didn't go their way. Uh, as they will be in Group D with Brazil, the favorites in the tournament, of course, Nigeria, and the Dominican Republic. Uh, so a very difficult group. The United States also qualified. Uh, they're in Pool B or Group B, excuse me, with Ecuador, Fiji, and Slovakia, which sounds like a little bit more fun than than the U.S. Or than Italy's group. England in Group B, they're with Uruguay, Iraq, and Tunisia. Um. Much like the regular World Cup, they'll have the um, top two in each group will qualify, and then four third-place teams will qualify for knockouts. It's 24 teams from the six uh, federations. Uh, CONCAF had Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Honduras, and U.S. qualify. And in Europe, it was England, France, Israel, Italy, and Slovakia. Um, So we'll see how Italy does. I like their team. Unfortunately, it's not their best the best team they could have fielded at this level. Um, some players that would be eligible for under 20 are either A, considered part of the senior team or the under 21 team only now. And then some other players were left off because their teams wouldn't release them. Um, it's not an official international break, so you need permission for these players. And players like Valpato at Roma, even though they never play him, uh, couldn't get a release. Um, but I'm excited to watch um, Castavelli. And I'm excited to watch uh, some of the other guys uh, that Italy has. Um, and it'll just be fun to cheer for cheer for Italy uh, for a little bit, a few weeks as we wait for National League. All right, the voice is going, so that's it for this. We'll take a break. We're going to come back. 
Nick Underhill and Mike Triplett from NewOrleans.Football. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. All right, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. Um, What is it? Uh, Chris Russo said a long time ago, every American kid needs a ball club and a rock and roll band. And for my whole life, I've had Pearl Jam and the Saints. And covering... At being in Buffalo and being so far away from the Saints, um, information is obviously getting it about the team has improved over the years. I remember the early days buying the USA Today and getting like a paragraph on Monday about how they lost, you know, 38 to 14 to the 49ers or whatever. And now we have a great site called New Orleans.Football, which has really become the beat in my opinion. It's, it's basically what I read all the time. And uh, there's two guys behind it, and they're both with me today. Uh, Nick Underhill, who's, who founded the site, I guess is the right word, and then Mike Triplett, who who came over last year, and it's growing from there. Uh, Nick, Mike, what's up, guys? How you doing today? Doing well, I thought man. you doing were well gonna say we, I thought you were gonna say we were your rock band. <laughs> that would be an interesting twist. My my football team is the Saints, and my rock band is New Orleans Football via the uh, podcast Perfect. app. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are doing good. You haven't quite replaced Pearl Jam yet, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nick, uh, we talked, I guess, about a year into New Orleans Football, um, and we talked about the origins of it and um, why you did it, and um, we talked about Saints football, obviously, that day. Uh, so now the second time around, and you're here with Mike, why not a little bit of the origins of how New Orleans that football became the Nick Underhill site and it went from being the Nick Underhill site to becoming the Nick Underhill and Mike Triplett site? Well, I mean, it kind of started because I, I was covering the Patriots and I just wanted to be back here covering the Saints. And I called literally every media company in the city and begged them to give me a job multiple times. And all of them told me no. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start my own thing. And they were like, go ahead. So. That's what we did. Uh, I don't know if you watch. I don't know if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but like the Latte Larry Spite Store, like oh, maybe yeah. maybe it's a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're we opened up next to Mocha Joe's, and uh, look, I mean, seriously though, I mean, this is this is just kind of what I wanted to be to be doing, and then as it grew, I mean, there was just you know the first obvious move like was to get Mike Triplett, and that was kind of you know, when me and my wife were planning this out. That was kind of you know. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we got to a point where we could convince Mike to leave ESPN and join us? Like that was the uh, like the end goal, like the ten year goal. We got there a little bit quicker, and um, so yeah, we got we got Mike on the team now. We've grown a lot over the last year since making that move, and now we're trying to make more of the move move into creating more uh, audio visual content. Um, we got Brooke Kirchhofer doing double duty with us. She also works for WWL TV. Uh, she's been a, an amazing addition, really. 
kind of feels like it's taken our uh, show to the next level. And, you know, the, I, th- I think the, uh, uh, just you know a little a little something different on the show from from me and mike and I, I think that she's really brought out you know great qualities in it um so yeah we're excited about where we're going everything's been moving faster and better than uh we ever imagined which is a credit to saints fans and their passion for their their team and how they just kind of care about every little detail and um you know i i love it their energy is our energy and when they're excited about stuff we're excited about stuff and you know, it's just kind of been um, – it's been a really great experience so far. And excited about stuff doesn't always mean positive, and we'll get to that. Because uh, <laughs> I'm excited oh, about some things and not necessarily the most positive way. But, Mike, i got to ask you because you mentioned that you were at ESPN before. And when someone leaves, like, a newspaper and goes to The Athletic or it's ESPN or something like that, people are like, yeah, you know, newspapers, whatever, they're dying. Oh, it's too bad, uh, whatever. But you don't often see people leaving ESPN – how did Nick convince you? Was it hard? Was it something you, when he started it, you were looking over your shoulder and like, oh, I'd love to leave the world wide leader of sports and go to that independent website in the city? Or like, how did that, how did those conversations go? And what yeah. convinced you to do it? Well, look, I, I was not looking to leave ESPN. Um, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, and, and I wasn't like, I got to get out of here. Where, where can I go? Um, but yeah, I, I was jealous of Nick every day. I mean, uh, the way Nick covered the team is the way I always wanted to cover the team, and that was when he was on his own. But also the idea of having a teammate um, was just the dream scenario, too. Like, um, And that's something I enjoyed when I used to work at the Times Picune, too, is, is, you know, being able to have other people on the beat, you know, bounce ideas off each other. You know, you do this, I do that. You know, like covering the draft was awesome. You, you, you know, you do your quick film study reaction i'm gonna you know do you know base this off the interviews like i I, you know just once he planted the seed in my head uh, uh, there was no way i was gonna shake the idea and it's been it's been everything i hoped it would be i'm not sure who wants to take this one maybe both of you but as an outsider someone who is intimately um involved in the beat as a reader i've read everybody like i said since jeez well, I mean, in, in in a really intense way, everyone I've read everyone really since like ninety six, ninety seven, when the internet when you could really do that. Um, maybe whenever nola dot com started or whatever, I've been really found to be close. But it seems like it's not the it, it's never been the most cutthroat beat. It seems like everyone really gets along. You guys play football together. Or, you know, it seems like a, a good group group of friends that that do this. Maybe work collaboratively for separate places. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, and maybe there's a bad apple, and I wouldn't expect you to <laughs> say that here. But were you, but I guess what I'm getting at is uh, Nick and Mike, were you guys boys beforehand? Like, was this something that on the beat over the years you've always been, you know, maybe not necessarily just admire, admirers of each other's work, but also like, hey, that's the guy that when we're in the press box, I like to sit next to and watch a game and talk ball with or whatever. Uh, Nick, maybe you can start, then Mike, if you want to add to it. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit different in, in, in 2023 than maybe it was in 2016, 2017. And I'm, I'm glad that you can't really, you know, as a reader, see any any competitive, bad competitiveness. I hope you see the good competitiveness. I'm, I'm trying to win every single story, every single piece of news. And, right. uh, you know, I, I give my life to, to trying to get those. But look, I'll, I'll say this, like I, I covered the Patriots before I covered the Saints. And then I went back to the I went back to the Patriots. The competition 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, like it was a, it was a one-on-one newspaper battle in some ways between the advocate and the times Picune, And you, you felt the weight of that every single day. And I mean, I think everybody covering the team 
was extremely aware that that you know someone was going to live and someone was going to was going to die at the end of it. And I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, sure. jobs and careers are, are right. literally on the line. I, the pressure was was crazy. I mean, and I think it made me a much better reporter because I, I carried it and we felt it because we were at the advocate. We were the little guy, like punching up at, at the big guy. And you know, I I think that that led to some you know weird stuff on the beat some competitiveness that uh people had to try to figure out and get through but it was um it, it was a lot and i mean that was the most competitive atmosphere i've ever been in because like in boston it's insanely competitive but there's 15 really good people covering the team and if if mike reese gets a story 14 people lose and it's like all right you can kind of shake that off a little bit because it's not directly on you but if Josh Katzen's team got a story that meant I didn't, and I was carrying the weight of that loss by myself. Right? Is that how you felt too, Mike? Yeah, I wanted you to have Nick go first on that one because <laughs> uh, he's probably the most competitive person that. I, and look, I you know I've been on the beat for a long time, uh, but he, he's also right that that was the most competitive stretch of time where where the two newspapers were battling head-to-head. But I think Nick was built for that. <laughs> and I think that's a big a big part of his drive. But, yeah, I mean, there's a healthy respect for each other. I mean, those are our coworkers. I mean, we all – our quote-unquote office is the cubicles we all have next to each other. A lot of times when we're on the road, we end up either on purpose or, or coincidentally in the same hotel. You know, I mean, uh, we'll go out to dinner together. I mean, we're, we're, we're coworkers. But, yeah, we all want to – we all we all want to beat each other, and we you know give the the healthy nod uh, of applaud if 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 somebody beats us. But the funny thing about it is uh, everything that everyone's been reading on New Orleans stuff football and hearing on these podcasts is basically the text messages that already existed between between Nick and I. You know, for the years leading up to the real collaboration. I mean, we sure. we, we we did definitely form a bond. I respected his opinion. Uh, above all others, I hope he felt the same way about me. And it was it was either it was either mostly friendly arguments, debates, bouncing ideas off of each other, bouncing theories off of each other. Uh, uh, you know, we, we all the things you hear on the podcast are conversations that have been going on for years. Yeah, and you know, you guys, I I think that like in Buffalo here, <laughs> when the Athletic came in and uh, started covering Buffalo sports. Like those guys fight like in public, <laughs> you know, on Twitter, they like, they, they, they subtweet each other. They, they tag each other and they're like, they're, they're angry at each other. They're, they're vicious. And I just never got quite that vibe from the, from the, from the, from, from the New Orleans Saints beat. I, I was always kind of grateful because sometimes like as a Sabres fan and I see like a Buffalo Sabres fan, I see, I just, I'm almost embarrassed for these guys. It's like, geez, you know, like. I it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy how how competitive it can get. Um, you know, it's interesting the timing. Thank God you guys live in 2023, right? Because I have just so many subscriptions now that I almost don't even think twice. Sometimes when I start one, I'm better at it now. But and it seems like media has gone this way, where right? people who were on the losing side of some of those two paper city battles have like went to things like Substack, Substack, excuse me, and people subscribe to that. We subscribe to all these streamers. We have a streamer for our music. We we pay for subscriptions, and it's it's a natural thing to do now, uh, which it wouldn't have been maybe even ten years ago, maybe even less than that. But um, what what have been the challenges you guys think of of being a paywall? I see Nick sometimes saying to people like who complain about the paywall, like, "Oh, we're trying to you know uh, run a business here, you know, we're trying to have a livelihood, you know, like please or whatever." But what what have been the challenges, and maybe Nick, you can start about 
um, you know, being a pace site and, and in 2022, 2023, how, and maybe a little bit of what you project going out and how you think it's going to change or stay the same? I, yeah, I think really the only challenge is, is just kind of more internal that you want to write something and you want every single person in the world to read it in the business model. Just, you know, it doesn't it doesn't allow for that. It, it's a little bit different. But so I, I think that's really the only thing. But look, we're, we're a small enough operation that like we're not trying to subsidize arts coverage, news coverage, all this other stuff. We just have to make enough money to pay for the stuff we want to do, feed ourselves and, and do all that stuff. And, you know, I think it makes it a, a pretty sustainable thing and, and our numbers have been good quick so there weren't really any sleepless nights yet you know the only the only thing i really worry about is uh you know a complete bottoming out and like what that would do if they're two and 15 for three years in a row or something like that like what would that do but look we just become more creative and we find a way to adapt to it and we find new ways to cover the team and cover stories around the team maybe we're, we start going at the college football games and start scouting the next caleb williams you know so i think there's just a lot of things that that we can do by being lean and mean that that i don't think we feel a lot of that and you know our general outreach we still have that with you know our, our podcast product and that like we can still right. go out and find new people and that's how we find our you know hopefully the next group of people that are subscribing uh to the website by giving them some of the content there that way um but i you know i think in general though i mean there's always going to be people that are against paying for for content whatever it is but i, I do think that the world is, is is changing a little bit i think that people in general have, have seen enough bleeding for media organizations that they understand the concept of like, Oh, okay. They actually have to make money off of this. And huh. if, if we like it, we got to pay for it so that it survives. So I think there's just kind of, you know, a thought process there too. And, you know, I just think the relationship that, that our company, me, Mike Brooke, uh, you know, that we've been able to, to, to establish with Saints fans is, is going to be the thing that carries us forever. And, you know, it's just, as long as we don't ever take that for granted, I don't really see a lot of issues down the road for us. Yeah, Mike, and it seems like I think the hardest thing to do is what Elon Musk is trying to do is to try to get people to pay for something that they're used to being free. You know, yeah, yeah. New Orleans.football has always been pay. So I don't, like, I get, <clears throat> the only time I get annoyed, I think, is when I try to read, like, a Jeff Duncan piece and it's behind a paywall now because I've just become used to, for years and years and years and years, going to NOLA.com. And reading his stuff, you know what I mean. And I'm just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And and I don't know why my attitude is like that. Right. I have no time. You're right. You, you know what I mean. You, you've it's nailed like, it though. Yeah. I think you've nailed it. Like and and when the athletic came out of nowhere and they were like, look, you know, you want premium content, you pay for Netflix, you pay for Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and and it is, it's training brains. But I mean, without question, the model for any of that to work is. You've got to be worth paying for either because people care about you. Um, you know, they want to know what Nick thinks. They want to know what Nick's reporting. They want to know what Mike thinks. Or, or you know, the content. You're the only one who came up with this story idea. You're the only one who approaches it this way. You're the only one who studies film this much. Um, so, you, yeah, you can't be a pay site and then be one of six people that wrote the same story and the other five versions of it are free. Um, right. And... You know, New Orleans football. I'd put it up again. You know, this is Nick. What he established before I went there. It's why why I went there. I'd put it up against any other attempt at this I've ever seen. Um, Same. I, I'm a I'm a big Cubs fan, and and uh, luckily it's not a pay site. But if Bleacher Nation, uh, guy who started his own site covering the Cubs, I love the way he does it. Uh, 
if, if, if he started charging me, I'd pay it without, without a second hesitation because that's who I want to read on the Cubs. And, and, and you got to make yourself worth it. And if you do, then, then, you know, people should, shouldn't, you know, that I think people are used to the idea that you, you pay for the, the premium content that you want. Yeah, it almost kind of goes back to that ball club band thing, right? Like, I don't buy as much physical music anymore, but every time Pearl Jam comes out with an album, I still buy the record because I have them all, and I like to, I like to consume them that way. Still, I still will listen to it on my my streaming to Apple Music as well. But and when it comes to the Saints, you know, I, I need to pay for that because it's the most important team to me. It's the most important thing. And if someone and, and they were willing to do it in English, did that for the Azuri, the, the, the Italian soccer national team, I'd pay for that too. Beyond that, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I'd pay for the Sabres, um, despite, you know, I've loved them my whole life. I don't know if I'd pay for the Braves, who I've also basically loved my whole life because of TBS growing up here in Buffalo. But, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you, pick, you guys. You picked the wrong, by the way, Steve, you picked the wrong baseball We didn't have WGN. We didn't TV. have it. We didn't. Ha- I didn't have WGN growing up. I don't know why. I didn't get it, and it, <laughs> no, it no, always no. pissed got, me off because they had wrestling. Yeah, all I had was TBS, um, so I don't know why. Because I would always hear like this wrestling show was on WGN. I'm like, why the hell don't I have that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to ask you guys too because you were talking a little when we were talking a little bit about the beat before. Um, one thing that I think, especially in football and basketball, it seems like the biggest stories, especially with transactions and. Uh, maybe if someone gets hurt on Sunday, but you don't really know what happened, these stories tend to get broken by the Shefters and the Woges and the triplets and things like that. And look at the Saints are the one thing where even though I trust those guys and I probably believe them, I'm not willing to accept it as 100% truth until I see it on New Orleans.football um, because I know you guys are there. You know what I mean? And sometimes maybe it's just denial. You know, like uh, when he's when when uh, you know if they say like uh, Kamara suspended in a few weeks for like six, seven, eight games or whatever, and I'm pissed off about it. Maybe part of it would be denial. And I'm like, well, let me just make sure Nick and, and or Mike agree with that. You know what I mean? Because I know you guys have boots on the ground. You're there, and even though I trust whatever their sources are, I still think it's different to be in there. So maybe it's a two part thing. Like, how do you guys feel about competing not just within the beat, but with the national guys and the way the news flow over the years seems to have become that the national guy's going to tweet it out and that's going to be where the gospel starts. And, and, and also, I guess, the part B of that with um, uh, the difference between you guys are, you are there and, and they just aren't. And I think that does give you a little bit of an edge. Nick, maybe if you want to bite on that for a second. Yeah, I think everyone one of those is a shot to the heart and I try to avoid them and I try to beat them to the, the stuff we can. I mean, there's just, there's an element of like, you know, Schefter's inevitable. Ian's right. inevitable yep. it, it, on some level. They're going to get some stuff, but, but, you know, I'm trying to make sure that, that we're getting ours too. So like, it isn't, you know, we aren't getting slapped every, every single series. And, you know, sometimes we, we beat them on some of the stuff too. So, um, you know, it, it, and on the other parts of that too, is, is sometimes you're just trying to have pieces of the story, like Derek Carr coming on the first visit. I think we got that first, you know, we didn't end up breaking the signing, but we had the behind the scenes of the signing the minute after the story broke. So it's kind of, you know, using the relationships we have locally to make sure that, that we're as competitive as can be. And then once the story happens, I want to own it immediately and make sure that, that we're doing that and making sure that people see us in that space and, and that we aren't just getting washed out by anything or, or, you know, not necessarily playing catch up on it. it. 
but also like to what you're saying is just having the 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 secondary details like yeah sometimes you aren't going to break every single story sometimes Schefter's going to have people that owe him things and they're going to you know want to take care of him on this story so he takes care of him on the next and that there's just a reach there covering every single player that that you're just not going to be able to match but I want to be able to go behind that and make sure I got the details. I know the, the, the what and the why I want to make sure the timelines, right. All that stuff. So it's just, um, you know, just trying to make sure that, that you're complete and that you're, you know, the one thing I never want to do is just be one of the people that's just rewriting Adam Schefter's tweets. Like if I'm rewriting the Schefter tweet, like I need to be adding something to it. And you know, that's a point of pride as well. So it's just trying to make sure you have the best information, the most complete information and trying to be as accurate as possible. And, And you know what? I you think know, that's oh, maybe what I mean. I hear, with me and Mike being around the team for this song. Yeah, and I, I think what you just said there is maybe what I mean, too. Schefter might throw a tweet in, right? And and that might be the, the crux of it. But, Mike, and maybe you can add to this. But you guys give me what the context, right? What that really yep. means. And, and I think that's almost more important. You know, like we all, all almost kind of assume at some point Kamara is going to be suspended, right? And, and I almost kind of assume at some point that Schefter or Rappaport, whoever is going to be the one to break that to me on my stupid Twitter feed. Um, but the the more important piece of that is, okay, now what? And that's kind of where you yeah. guys come in, right? And that's almost more important. Yeah, and look, con- context is the right word, and I think that's where Nick and I are probably most aligned is, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, we, we do break a lot of news. Nick, Nick was breaking a lot of news. Uh, but before I joined him too, um, and, and there's some times where, yeah, I mean, you might even, uh, talk to the, uh, the agent or the source, you know, a lot of times, and then, it, you know, it comes to, you know, who they want to put the press release out. That can be frustrating every once in a while. But the one thing we make sure is, is that we're going to, we're going to win on the details and we're always going to win on the, uh, foreshadowing. I, I mean, you followed, uh, New Orleans on football for a while. I mean, Nick's, Nick's. I, I, I want to say the word trick. It's not a the trick is not the right word tactic or whatever that you will see over and over again is the moment Derek Carr signs. Oh, wait, Nick had a, uh, you know, 2000 word story written on this. Uh, uh, yeah. he just wrote that. Yeah, he had the, uh, well, the film you know, breakdown. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, or, you know, uh, like they, they draft a player and it's like, Oh, he already had the film study done on that player. What, you know, every once in a while, uh, 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 um, you know, the breaking is the one thing, but the uh, knowing all the details already, having it already, uh, you'll see that a lot. And uh, look, I mean, that the the that's one thing I've always prided myself on is even if I haven't broken every story, I never feel like, oh, man, I hope nobody was listening to me over the last three weeks because I was way off. I always feel like this, you know, uh, we joke about uh, how many people say this was coming all the time <laughs> in our business. Oh, yeah, yeah. this was coming. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if you listen to our podcast and then news happens, you'll be like, oh, yeah, n- n- this is this is exactly how they said it was probably going to go. You know, and I, and, and I feel good about that, you know, time and time like Foster Moreau, like all three of us. Um, um, the, the moment Adam Troutman was signed, we, we talked about Foster Moreau on the next uh, podcast. Well, this obviously means uh, they're probably going to sign him. And then Brooke, Brooke, you know, gets a source on the phone and says, yeah, as a matter of fact, that he's got an offer on the table. It's like, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if, if Adam Schefter was the first one to, or Ian, I can't remember who it was, to say Foster Moreau has officially signed his contact. If you were listening to our podcast that week, you were expecting them to sign Foster Moreau. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's so fast, I didn't even see that, actually. By the time I jumped in, eight people, you know what I mean? I don't even know who was first either. Uh, Nick, you know, I think you got some of that Wayne Gretzky in you where maybe your biggest skill is you you know where the puck is going to be before it gets there. And that might be why you have so many goals. There's like an anticipation to it. And, you know, I'm just a jabroni from Buffalo who just loves this team, right? But also, I don't know how many games there's been since 1996, but I've seen every single one. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them I've watched, like, a-, a bunch of times, right? So sometimes I feel like I know this team. Like, maybe an example is that Tampa Bay game. Like, as soon as Mark Ingram ran out of bounds a yard short of the first down, I said, oh, we're losing this game 17-16. to <laughs> right, like, I just knew that that was going to be the final score of the game. Like, I literally, I sat down in my chair, and and one of my one of my buddies who did go back and read my Twitter feed at my request, I'm like, look at my tweets. I knew, I knew this was going to happen. I'm not even mad right now because it, it's more like watching a Shakespearean tragedy or something at this point. Like, I just knew that was going to be the outcome. So I think there's something to that. Like, and, and Nick, maybe you can speak to this. Like, you just get. I don't know if it's this team only. Maybe it's all teams, but you just get a feel. You just kind of know where this is going, and I think you kind of got that maybe sixth sense, Nick, with the team of you know where the puck's going to be, and it, it makes it easier for you to knock it in when it gets there. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes. I, you know, I, I think it was a little bit easier following following the patterns with, with, with Sean Payton. Like, it was kind of, right, you know, you kind of get this head a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, there's still a little bit of, like, trying to figure out where they're going with, with different things, but... Yeah, I, I think that's something that, that me and Mike both do well, though. It's like, you know, we, we pay attention. We, we pay attention to the details. When something happens, we start trying to think, all right, what's the next move? What's the next move from that? What, what are the contingencies? It's just kind of being dedicated to, to what we're doing, I think, a little bit. And, like, there are patterns there. And when you kind of pay attention to what they're doing, it's a little bit hard to be surprised. Like, you know, I, I think that we all have, have come to figure out – types of players they're going to draft for instance like that's just looking at it studying it paying attention what do they like on the three cone what do they like on this what do they like on that and you can start to kind of paint a picture of different things so it's just uh, you know trying trying to pay attention to, to everything and making sure that everything matters and I, I think when you do that you, you start to you start to have a feel for what they're going to do and I think that's that's when you start to eliminate that surprise and like Mike said I just don't ever want to be we might not always be informed by a source on something, but we're informed by previous information too. And I think that just generally will, will lead you to uh, the right conversations. The sportscasters are here with the brains uh, and the uh, uh, the boys behind New Orleans Football, Mike Triplett and Nick Underhill, really just dominating the New Orleans Saints beat, at least from my perspective as a fan. Maybe there's someone else who, who, who prefers something else, and I guess I'd believe them if they said that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I spent most of my time um, on the site, and that's okay. I wanted to do that anyway, and there's plenty of times we closer to the season where I can bother one of you to come back and really break down what's gone on um, uh, because I, I I will do that probably. Uh, that's just how I am. But uh, the um, the one thing I want to mention, I know, Nick, you got to drop in a minute, and maybe I could squeeze two or three extra minutes out of you, Mike, if possible, but um, before we end either way, we got to get this because I want to be a first guesser here. Um, I don't want to be a second guesser in October, or, or and if I'm being honest, it won't be October. It'll be like September 14th. I'll already be complaining. But I just cannot believe, I cannot believe they brought all these damn coaches back. I just can't believe it. I cannot believe, first of all, that they think it's a good idea to bring Dennis Allen back. Okay, fine. If you want to say that's too cutthroat, you want to say you didn't see enough that year, you want to say you still got a chance to be a good coach, okay, maybe. But I just can't believe they didn't do 
anything to change it up. They didn't. I can't believe Carmichael is still here. I just can't. I, I, I just. I want to bang my head through a wall when I even think about it. I sat last year and watched just the worst. I, I, it's you got to go back to Dicka, to, to for uh, just coaching so bad. I think it cost us games. Uh, Nick, you can start, and and Mike, you can go after. Talk me down a little bit. So I look. I think you got to give Da a little bit of a chance here. I, I, yeah, I think I they guess. learned from I some guess. of their mistakes and some of the stuff we saw early in the season. I was as frustrated as, as anybody with, with false starts and avoidable mistakes and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I. I, I think we saw some of that improve, so I'm going to give them a little bit of room for, for that. We'll see. I think they have better players now. I think they have the quarterback. They got all the guys he wanted on the team. So he's going to sink or swim on his own merits. You know, as far as Carmichael, I, I think I was a little bit more surprised by, by that one myself, too. I do know that they kind of looked around a little bit, and there was like 14 OCs that got hired this offseason, and right. I think they just felt like they weren't going to be able, able to go out and get someone that was significantly better. So I, I think they just avoided the, the the change to make change on the OC situation. But look, I think you're uh, within your rights, and I think it's fair to be extremely skeptical about them. And I think that they absolutely need to show that they can that they can figure this out and be a better team. Mike, the the, the, the biggest story of the offseason is obviously Derek Carr. Uh, look, I live in Buffalo, and, and Jim Kelly retired like in 1995, and Josh Allen was what, in the 2017 draft? And they had nothing in between. And I was worried because it's very rare that Steve Young comes in for Joe Montana or Aaron Rodgers comes in for, right. for, for <laughs> Brett Favre, right? That just... It just doesn't happen. I knew there'd be some pain when when Drew left, but uh, do you think Derek Carr could make it, you know, two years of pain? Uh, What what do you you kind of? I mean, yeah, a couple a couple things on that. It's funny. I did a big, I did a massive project for ESPN a couple years ago where I looked at how every Hall of Fame quarterback was replaced over the last forty years, and there was one. Steve Young, and there was one Aaron Rodgers. And, like, right. the third most successful guy, if you don't count Andrew Luck replacing Peyton Manning because that was such a unique situation. But as far as, like, teams actually planning ahead for it, I think the third most successful guy was, like, Jay Fiedler replacing uh, uh, Marino. Dan Marino Oof. in Miami. I mean, Oof. it just it doesn't happen. And there were so many Jim got drafted in the first round to replace Steve Young, and he didn't pay So just like everybody pretending like there's a right way to do it. It's just hard to find right. uh, yeah. quarterbacks. And then the other thing that blows me away, look, I, I, I'm like Nick. I'm not going to over-defend Dennis Allen or Pete Carmichael, but it's so funny covering this team for years that people were like, well, if Sean Payton and Drew Brees ever leave, this team is screwed. And when that salary cap hits, this team is screwed. And then – Sean Payton leaves, Drew Brees leaves, and the salary cap hits, and they miss the playoffs by a couple games, and everyone's like, fire everyone. That was terrible. They should have won 12 games. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, more than anything, I think it's been the injuries the last couple of years. But, yeah, of course those guys have a lot to prove, and I, and I think Derek Carr gives them a, a, a fighting chance. Like, if you, you know, if you don't want to put Derek Carr in your top 10, 12 quarterbacks, that's perfectly fair. But you have to agree. That if Dennis Allen's fighting for his job and Pete Carmichael's fighting for his job and this team has decided we want to win the NFC South this year, he gives them by far and away the best chance to do that of of any 
quarterback they could have possibly added this year. I think everyone considers them the front runner to win the NFC South this year. I think if they don't win nine, 10 games, everyone will be disappointed. I think if they're healthy, they should. So um, as, as disappointing as everything was last year, I, I think they've set themselves up to ha- have the best, you know, potential success when you consider their roster and their cap situation and the fact that they just lost Drew Brees and Sean Payne over the last couple of years. This, yeah. is, this, this is as competitive as I think they could be under all those circumstances. Yeah, and, and you know what? I think they had a decent plan with Jameis, too. Like, with their 5-2 and two when he got injured. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that wasn't going I poorly. I that plan, too. Yeah, yeah better that, than... Yeah, that wasn't going poorly. Um, I don't know, you know, why year two... I, and again, he got injured again, you know, I mean, multiple injuries in year two. So, you know, who knows? Um, uh, let's finish up uh, real quickly. NewOrleans.football is the website. Uh, go there, subscribe. Um, it's uh, Trust me, if you're a Saints fan at all, it's it's... You probably already know, really. But um, if for some reason you don't, um, it's the best there is. So I would certainly recommend it. Two really quick uh, things, and I'll let you go, Mike. Uh, Nick has already gone. He had a call. appreciate his time. I'll let you p- put plugs in, too, if there's something I missed. But um, real quick, I need a 2009 story because we should yeah. always be celebrating 2009. So you can give me anything you want. Oh, wow. Just talk about anything from 2009 so we can end happy. That's all. That's all I ask. Let's just do just something about 2009. I, I I guess I can start since I'm kind of putting you on the spot while you think about it for a second. But sometimes when I when I go to sleep at night, I just think about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady standing next to each other on the sidelines after that Monday Night Football game because that was even though that wasn't the best Patriots team in the rung. Like obviously they didn't make the Super Bowl, the Colts you know did, but um that they were they're still the measuring point for the era. And we whooped them so bad, those two guys called uncle, you know, and I always think of the um, Henderson um, touchdown, you know, because this game is in the era of the of the you got the movie screen in your house, right? I had the 60 inch or whatever, and he was the only guy in the picture. And it's one of my all time favorite plays. You know what I mean? So that's just something that gets me happy. So there's one for me. What do you got? Well, I mean, geez, it's just everyone at their peak, isn't it? Um, um, I would say. some interesting Hall of Fame conversations that are going to come up um, in the coming years, Jari Evans and then Sean Payton one day. I, I would say the, the one thing that's so interesting about that 2009 team is it was Drew Brees at his finest. Um, right from but, day one. Six touchdowns but, opening day, right? Right from day one. But, but I think what people have probably grown to appreciate more over time is what an epic offensive line. I mean, to have Jari Evans and Carl Nix, yep. and, you know, I always lumped in 2011 because that's the best offense I think I've ever seen in the NFL. Um, I think it's still it, – it, it really – the 2011 Saints offense has a case for being the greatest single-season offense in NFL history. But um, what's really interesting is, you know, all the things we've kind of learned that people have picked apart with Tom Brady later in his career and other – you know, Having two, probably the two best guards in the NFL at that time, uh, and let Drew Brees just stand in there and pick apart and do whatever he wanted, and the innovation behind all that—it's it, really come up in Mickey Loomis conversations too. When everybody's like, "Oh, Mickey Loomis just got lucky with Drew Brees and uh, and Sean Payton," it's like um, I think the the Jari Evans and Carl Nicks of that team it, it is still one of the things. I think of, you know, a lot of teams have had great quarterbacks. A lot of teams have had great coaches. But has, has, has any other team helped establish its, uh, <laughs> its legacy uh, 
with the best guard duo in NFL history. They, I feel like over time, they're more and more appreciated. Yeah, and, and the health of that team, too. I mean, like, was Charles Grant was, like, the only significant yeah. player to, like, they had some injuries during the season. Like, I know cornerback was then even right around this Patriots game, I think maybe that was one of the games Mike McKenzie was, like, the starter or whatever. But, um, yeah, okay, very, very last thing, and I'll let you do any plugs you want to do for the site. I got to uh, name that Saint for you. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> this is the last thing for me. All right. All right. All right. Let's see if it's too easy or hard. I don't know. Okay. First clue. First round pick. Current. Wait. Are, are we That's going? A for, he's a former Saint. Oh, okay. Former. But saint. I will say this: he's uh, in this this century. You don't have to go. Like we're not going back to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the opening kick return or something. You know. All right. All right. All right. Will Smith. Will Smith. Okay. Uh, traded for a member of the Super Bowl team. Traded for a member of the Super Bowl team. So he was not. Didn't make he it was to not the a Super Saints Bowl team. No. Oh, he was a Saint, he was a Saints first round pick, but he was traded oh. for a player that was on oh, the Super Bowl okay, team. Okay, okay, okay. Darren Howard? Nope. Uh he um is in the media. All right. Oh my gosh. I've already blown this. Um I, I've got Ricky Williams in my head, but I don't think he's in the media. But I'll say Ricky Williams. Nope. Okay. Uh, he is uh, – this will be a two-parter. Uh, Aaron Brooks to him, one of the great all-time Madden connections on the uh, – uh, <laughs> Dante Stallworth. Dante Stallworth. How did I blow it? <laughs> I covered Dante Stallworth too when I – you know, he was on the team when I first started. Dude, I would kill people. One of Sean Payton's big, bold moves. Uh, yeah, right away uh, too, pretty much. Him in training camp. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, man, I totally blew it. I was at the first uh, Peyton and Breeze game in Cleveland because it's you no know, couple hours, and I got in there right away. And I'll just remember Sean Payton, before almost anyone else was out on the field, took a lap all the way around the stadium. And I remember just watching him the whole way and thinking, "Oh, this guy better be good." <laughs> so, but, well, I I appreciate that you love name that saint because I was yes, proud of that's fun. bringing that to the podcast. It was a brainchild while my family was actually playing a uh, a game and i was like oh we should be doing this on the podcast but if you watch that episode as i know you did i'm not as good at it as i should be yeah it, you <laughs> know what it made, on me, my feet. <laughs> it made me realize i gotta really like start to study the the upcoming team you know what i mean i was a little sloppy with some of those back end guys that got used um you know not as good as i, I probably should have been but it's you know it's early but um, all right. What do you want to plug as, as far as the website? And I'll let you go. Well, look, you, you, yeah. everything you said is is awesome. I mean, I, I hope people listened and took to heart what you said about why you you follow New Orleans Stuff Football because it's exactly what we're going for. So I, I appreciate you giving us the the time to talk about it, but especially the the way you described it because because uh, that's the goal. Yeah, and it's genuine too. Like Nick and and uh, you know, you guys didn't come to me. I came to you, and I, I came to you to have you on because. I love this site, right? Like if I hated it, I'd probably just not call you guys, right? I wouldn't be like, hey, come on my podcast so I can tell you how much your small business sucks. Like I would never do that. You know what I mean? So just trying to put a little bit of element of like legitimacy behind my uh, behind my uh, my, my claims because I, I do believe it and I, I think it's awesome and I can't wait to read you guys all year. So I really appreciate you to thank Nick for me um, and I'll bother one or both of you, I'm sure, over the year um, with text messages you don't need or want. Um uh, but hopefully we can uh, we can have you guys back and talk more about the team and and all this stuff. Like I said, I really wanted to focus on the site because uh, it was a unique opportunity to have you both. And, uh, and of course, we'll talk more Saints football over the year and year. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Steve. I really appreciate it. 
too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. I want to thank Nick Underhill and Mike Triplett for being on the show today. New Orleans.football, check it out. All right, the voice is going, so I'm going to keep this short. We have two books on the book club right now, and after the next interview, we'll be down to one. LeBron, Jeff Benedict is one of those two books. Jeff's going to be on in a minute, and that will kind of end our run with LeBron. Uh, Definitely a book worth checking out. The last one left right now on the table is Cage Kings, How an Unlikely Group of Moguls, Champions, and Hustlers Transformed the USC into a $10 billion Industry by Michael Thompson. I scheduled that interview. It's early in June. Um, I scheduled that with the people, the good people at 12 Books. 12 Books, by the way, is like a dream come true. Uh, the ladies and gentlemen that I work with there are so incredibly nice. Uh, they believe in this show. They believe in the work I do. Um, and they're so great to me. June 1st is the date that we'll interview Michael, and then that interview will appear you know, shortly after that. But um, it's that time, I guess, to start getting emails out um, and, and filling the book club back up with books. If you have any suggestions, there's anything coming out, anything you'd like me to cover, sports, the sportscasters at gmail.com. All right, let's take a break. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's come right back with the author of LeBron, Jeff Benedict. Our next guest today currently lives in Connecticut. He is a graduate of Eastern Connecticut State University and got his master's at Northeastern University. He's been the author of a bunch of books featured in the book club, including Tiger and the franchise's awesome look at the New England Patriots dynasty. And today he joins us to talk about his new book, LeBron, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Benedict. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. LeBron. LeBron. You kind of getting the you're you're covering the market on athletes who go by one name. You got Tiger down. Uh LeBron. Uh we next we, we need another one one name athlete next. Or maybe you could do the, well, the Sinbad book. Yeah, I think um I put Brady in the category too because the sure. dynasty the yeah. dynasty book was was very much uh you know, covering Tom's twenty-year run in New England, but I think, I think Tiger, and Brady and LeBron, are um, unquestionably the three greatest male athletes on the American stage in the last in this century, in the twenty-first century. And um, the fact that their three careers have overlapped has, has been—we probably won't see anything like that, maybe ever again. Yeah trying to think of other names to throw out just for devil's advocate and i'm not coming up with many serena maybe although female, well, I, female I male think, right female male, I think, maybe, yeah. yeah for male athletes it's those three right. if it's if you go all athletes female and male then then serena joins the conversation and it's the four of them right and if you go worldwide you probably gotta add Messi and ronaldo in yes there, right yes yeah and then maybe some of the tennis guys too if you go worldwide nadal yeah um but we're getting out of my comfort zone a little bit there. Um, yep. I know they're great, though. You know, um, 
yeah, I can't think of a lot of names to argue with you either way. Um, and uh, you know, I wonder where does Steph Curry fall? Where, where was is he so far above even like a Curry or any? Because I know someone I saw recently was trying to argue that they take Curry over LeBron in a draft if they were both rookies or something like that. Yeah, that's silly. I mean, um, I just think that <laughs> these are, I guess fun debates for sports fans to have, but the reality is LeBron's by himself. Um, in his era, it's LeBron and everyone else. You know, for a while, people were saying, well, Kevin Durant's going to be eclipse LeBron, and Curry's going to eclipse LeBron. Does that include then, Kobe? Are you, are you saying he's after Yes. Him? Okay, including Kobe. Okay. Yes. All right. I mean, to me, there's, you know, there's there are eras – and I think it's fair to say by era, who was the greatest in their era, uh, the Russell era is 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 certainly he owns that. Um, I think then you had Kareem then you had Magic and Larry and then you had Michael. Right. And I think but at the end of the day, really, what we're talking about here is we're talking about Michael and LeBron. And agreed. I don't. Yeah, agreed. I just I don't think that is as great as Steph Curry is and as entertaining as he is and phenomenal and all those things, he is not in the conversation with Michael and LeBron and he's never going to be. Um, and certainly Kevin Durant isn't going to be, and there's nobody in the NBA today who's going to be in that conversation ever. Um, not Duncan, are, right? Not Tim Duncan. No, no, no. Again, that's not disrespectful to Tim Duncan. I mean, he is, you know, he's one of the greatest players who's ever played the game. But when we're talking about greatest of all time, that conversation is different. And it can't be flavor of the month. It can't be who's hot now or who just won a championship. Suddenly, people are comparing Patrick Mahomes to Tom Brady. That's not appropriate. Right. Or <laughs> Otani. Right. Like suddenly yeah. Otani is better than Babe Ruth. Right. And I no, know it's just yeah. it, it, it's. When you do that, you just set yourself up for, you know, looking silly later. Um, there, there are only there's a handful of athletes who are in that conversation for greatest of all time in the various sports. You can debate Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, but there's not anybody playing baseball right now that would be in that conversation. Um, there just isn't. And uh, so I think in basketball, that's how it is with LeBron. And when you start comparing other guys and saying, well, I would draft, you know, Steph Curry ahead of him, you're not looking at the full body of work. You're looking too recently. And, um, yeah, LeBron's 38 now, but you got to go back and look at his whole body of work and what he's done over his whole career. And when you do that, you go, okay, why did we start this conversation? <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's, I was thinking about this last night when I was getting ready for this. The first time we talked on this show, you had written an article about Jabari Parker. I think it was the first time. Yeah. And, or maybe it was the second, whatever. One of the first times you came on, you had written an article about Jabari Parker for SI. And we were talking about him, and it got me thinking about, and they just had the lottery, right, the other day. Yeah. And this kid from France, somebody's already, somebody was at Woj, said, like, he's the greatest most hype prospect ever, more hyperbole of the moment, I think. But um, yeah. it got me thinking about how incredible it is that LeBron delivered the way he did on the hype. Oh, it, yeah. It, 
the thing about I saw I saw what Woj said, and I was just like, really? I mean, I was I like, doesn't he remember what it was like with LeBron? He like we absolutely he absolutely remembers. I know. And I couldn't I, believe he said that. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it, one of the problems with the um, the whole hot take climate is that. You're constantly competing to say things that. But that's people, usually not Woj, you know. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But that's usually not him. We're not talking about Skip Bayless here. You know what I mean? No, that's why I, I, I was surprised. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have cut no, you off. No, I mean, yeah. I, I thought Dan Patrick said it best yesterday on his show. He just said, "Well, that's just wrong." Yeah. And I mean, I think everybody knows it's wrong because anybody with a memory of of when LeBron was in high school, the amount of hype around him putting him on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which led ESPN to make a very controversial programming decision, which was largely using Sports Illustrated as a basis to argue that maybe we should put one of his games on primetime television. And then the ratings were so high from that game. Dick Vitale, they put Dick Vitale and Bill Walton on the game. And then you have Bill Walton, who to me is much more of a credible authority on this than some basketball writer. Walton is on the air saying this kid has skills and gifts that are rare. When Bill Walton says that, that means something different. And, and then the, the ratings from that game were so high and LeBron played so well that ESPN said, well, maybe we should put him on again. By the time he got to the draft, there wasn't one team in the NBA that was thinking anything other than this could be the next Michael Jordan. Jerry West, who was then, I think, the GM of um, – he wasn't with the Lakers. And he – it was Charlotte at the time, I think. And he, he just was like, everybody knows what LeBron is. There isn't any general manager who wouldn't take LeBron – without even thinking about it. Danny Ainge, who said, I would basically trade every player in the NBA right now except for four or five guys to get LeBron. And then a few years later, he corrected himself and right. said, I was actually Should have been wrong. everyone. Yeah, should have been everyone. Should have been everyone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking back on all the different names. I was thinking about all sports. You know, Tiger certainly had very, very early, huge hype, delivered astronomically. Um, in hockey, you have Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid yeah. recently. Both have Crosby certainly delivered. It's going to be a Hall of Famer, won multiple cups. You know, McDavid has individually has, I think, delivered, but hasn't had much success on his team yet in Edmonton. Obviously, he hasn't even been to a conference final yet, um, but has been very, very good. I think about Peyton Manning was very, very big. Uh, Andrew Luck was a huge, huge... Um, you know, a big tank guy. We got to get tank for luck, and he was very good, but not all-time great, certainly. Retired early. Um, but just the idea of I, – I, I remember there's an anecdote in the book. I can't remember what show it was or where what the context was. You can remind me. But he kind of – he said very early, the expectation is Hall of Fame or bust. Yeah, that's right. Because And he delivered. That's amazing. It's amazing to me. I've been thinking yeah, about when, that, you know. When LeBron was still a teenager and he was interviewed by Bob Costas, who who then had, I think, the number one sports talk show on television, um, you know, 
he interviewed LeBron and he basically said, you understand that if you don't become that, that great, everything will be viewed as falling short. Yep. And LeBron what's fascinating. If you watch that tape and I did, um, you can see that LeBron is actually comfortable. It's not an act. He's actually comfortable with the pressure. And I think that I, I love the fact that Nike, when they signed him for 90 million, talk about pressure. Um, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods didn't get anything near that when they were signed. And LeBron was given an amount of money as a high school teenager that seemed recklessly absurd on Nike's part. Um, and they made their first commercial with LeBron and they called it pressure. Yeah. I remember they, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's famous because they filmed it out in Sacramento and it was like his first game and he's dribbling up the court and the, the crowd goes silent because LeBron freezes and it's like, Oh no, is this kid going to buckle? And then he cracks that great smile at the end, that signature smile, and he, he nails it. And I think that, to me, that showed you, yes, it's a commercial. Yes, it's scripted. But it's actually real. Like, that is who LeBron was. And he was at the time. And then that first game in real life, which was in Sacramento, he went off. I mean, he showed you in the very first game he played that he was not only capable of playing with these men in the NBA, but he was capable of dominating. And I, I just, we have never seen anything like that before. When Jordan joined the NBA, there was not near the expectations on his shoulders that were on LeBron's. And Michael came in after winning a national championship in North Carolina and hitting the shot against Georgetown. So, yeah. you know, LeBron was coming from high school and being compared, being told that he is the heir apparent to Air Jordan, those are there are no bigger shoes to fill than those. Well, that's another interesting thing I thought about LeBron too. When you look back, is he doesn't make you wait around, right? When he gets to high school, they go undefeated, win the state championship his very first year, you know. Yep. And he wasn't Mr. Basketball in Ohio, but I felt like maybe that's because they kind of gave it to Maverick because. He was a senior that year, and I think you do a good job painting the picture of what that year was like. And it's one of the most interesting parts of the book, I think, especially LeBron's reaction to the coach on the first day of practice and, you know, thinking, oh, man, did I make a mistake? This guy's going to be tough on me or whatever. But right away he develops. Really early in his NBA career, he takes that really average um, Cavs team on that huge run to the finals. Um, you know, it, he doesn't make you wait around, I think, is part of his greatness, too. Even Kobe, no. even Kobe, when he came in at 18, it took him a couple years to get off the bench and to really get acclimated to the game, to be Kobe. LeBron was yes. LeBron day one. You know, I think that might be the difference. Yeah, and I, th there's a couple of really smart, um, you know, basketball executives and general managers who have opined about the difference between Kobe and LeBron in terms of LeBron – you know, you could misconceive what I'm saying to say LeBron doesn't work hard. That's not what I'm about to say. What I am saying is that LeBron had talent, natural talent. Right, more natural, yep. And natural size that exceeded what Kobe had when Kobe came into the league. He was bigger than Kobe. 
He was stronger than Kobe. He could jump higher than Kobe, and Kobe could jump, but LeBron could jump as high as Michael, and Michael was the highest leaper in the league, and LeBron could leap as high as Michael when he entered the NBA. So what I'm saying is LeBron came into the NBA. LeBron is 6'9", what, 290, 250, something like that, 260. He's just a bigger human. Yeah. And so I, I think that what's impressive about LeBron is how despite having those advantages, he still was a gym rat, meaning he, he was in the gym all the time, working hard. And so those experiences in high school, the reason I spent so much time in that part of the book, I think LeBron's origin story, where he really learned the fundamentals of the game, they were taught to him by, by really good high school and youth basketball coaches who, look, they were never going to go on and coach like – at, at big college universities, but they knew how to sort of steer LeBron and teach him like the importance of passing, for example. And, and it, and again, it wasn't because they looked at LeBron as a prodigy who they knew someday was going to be the greatest player in the NBA. None of them knew that then they, they could just see that he was different than all the other kids. He was more talented. And if they could teach him, and encourage him to do things like share the ball, he would make the team around him so much better. And LeBron is still that player today. I mean, I think the reason the Lakers beat the Warriors is because LeBron has done a masterful job getting the young players on the Lakers to buy in to team first. And it doesn't matter who scores the points. What matters is that we win – you know, the Warriors are led by three veterans who understand that, Green, Thompson, and Curry. But some of those younger guys, like Poole, I'm not so sure. And and so I, I think LeBron has always been able, even when he was a high school player, he's always been able to get the rest of the team to buy in to team first because the best player on the court was always willing to give up points to win. And um, so in that regard... I think that LeBron is – I mean, that's why he's got so many assists. Yeah, and I would say, too, I was interested and, and really impressed, too, in the book when talking about his high school coach, um, Keith uh, – How do you, is it Dambrot? Dambrot. Yeah, Dambrot. Dam- really, I was really impressed with how he knew how important his role was, too. Like, he took it really seriously. You know, he didn't yeah. exploit LeBron, I don't think, in any way. You know, he, he, he appreciated the opportunity he had to coach him. And really, I thought, at least the way you seem to express it in the book, felt the responsibility he had in making sure that he guided him, that he did the right thing by and for LeBron to help him as he moved on from there to the NBA. I thought I was really impressed. I, thought I think with, that Dan, him yeah, Dan brought Dan brought's a great story because he had been a Division One college coach. He lost his job uh, because he used the N word in the locker room with his players. Um, And as a result of that, he was blackballed for a while. He couldn't get a job as a coach. So he's in Akron, you know, five years pretty much. Right. Yeah. uh, yeah. And he was working, you know, a white collar job in an investment firm brokerage, but he started a basketball clinic at, at the Jewish community center in Akron. And LeBron ended up going there with a friend of his, and they were the only African-American kids at the, at the clinic. 
the basketball clinic. And Dan Brott saw them, and he could see that LeBron was better than everyone else at the clinic. And eventually, um, St. V's in Akron private Catholic school, basically an all-white school for the most part, offered a job to Dan Brott to be the head basketball coach. It was controversial because of his history, but he took the job. And then his first year there, he had Maverick Carter as a junior. Maverick Carter was a great player. And Maverick Carter was friendly with LeBron. And so when LeBron came out of middle school, he and uh, a group of his best friends, they decided to go play for Dan Brott at St. V's. It was very controversial. Maverick Carter was part of that reason that LeBron agreed to go there. And Dan Brott, I think, once LeBron got there, if he were being really honest, Dan Brott would admit he was a little bit intimidated by the burden of coaching LeBron because he knew he was special, he was different, and he didn't want to screw it up. And so I like the fact that he was so tough on LeBron. Everything from the language he used, you know, he would swear at LeBron, he'd yell at him, but he pushed LeBron and pushed LeBron. And while LeBron resented it initially, he grew to embrace it and love it. And as he got older, he really, really appreciated what Dambrot gave him those first two years. Um, I love the moment um, after LeBron's sophomore year, LeBron has a chance to go play. It's basically an audition for in front of Sonny Vaccaro, the sneaker guru. And Dan Brott's with him. Le- LeBron had to fly out to the Bay Area because Sonny Vaccaro refused to go to Akron to watch him play. LeBron had to go to him. And so they staged a game at, at a basketball gym in the Bay Area and v- just so Vaccaro could watch LeBron play live. And partway through the the audition, as I like to call it, LeBron wasn't playing very well at first. And Dambrot basically pulls him aside and reams him out. And it's like, you know, what the F are you doing? Do you realize who's in there watching you? Get your, you know, get yourself together here. He's, that's what's good about Dambrot. He could talk to LeBron that way. And then LeBron went back out on the court and just went off. And Sonny Vaccaro walked out of the gym after like 10 minutes and just he'd seen everything he needed to see to convince him that he had never watched a player with that kind of talent in his life. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sports kids are here with Jeff Benedict, a really awesome look at LeBron James's career. Um, you did great extensive research over 200 plus interviews um, LeBron didn't sit down with you. I don't really think it's that important. He's said just about everything there is to said. He's not a quiet guy, right? Um, and and some of my favorite books over the years of doing this have been ones where the subject didn't talk. Jeff Perlman's done a great job with some of his uh, without cooperation. There's a, a really great book about the band Alice in Chains by a guy named David DeSola who didn't get any cooperation from Alice in Chains but wrote an incredible book, and I think this is the way to um, I was thinking about the last three books you've done and I was thinking about Tiger, which you, of course you did with uh, um, Iron Contain. And I was thinking about that book and the tone there. And, and you can help guide me here. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm losing my voice a little bit, but you can help guide me here on this one. The tone there, it felt like you were showing a side of Tiger Woods throughout the book that people didn't know 
that was maybe negative. I don't even know if that's the right word, but you were showing us a different side of Tiger Woods throughout that book, and it was maybe not the side that Tiger would want to show you first. Maybe that's a good way to put it. With this, yeah. with this book, it really felt like you really like LeBron in a way or really warm. It's got a much different tone. Can you speak to that at all? Well, I mean, first of all, LeBron's lived a very different life than Tiger. And sure. so yep. LeBron doesn't have episodes in his life to write about that are similar to some of the more unfortunate episodes that Tiger's had in his life. So the, the, the facts are the facts. Like you right. His wife never chased him down the road with a golf club on Thanksgiving. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's like you can't. You can't fault the biographer for writing, for creating a portrait of LeBron that's largely inspiring. It's not like I left things out that would have reflected negatively on him. I, I wrote what is there. And I think in the case of Tiger, I would actually disagree and say that our book was a much, did a, a we went out of our way to show a side of Tiger that would allow people to appreciate him more and maybe be a little more a little more empathetic to those episodes and why they happen. Okay. I can't tell you how many people who came up to me and Armin after the book came out and said, I could not stand Tiger Woods until I read your book. And now I actually like the guy. That's interesting because yeah. I couldn't stand him and I still can't stand him. Like I'm trying, well, that, I'm trying to think yeah. what from the book would make me say, "Oh, I could see why he did that to his girlfriend at the golf tournament and just never talked to her." I don't, I don't know. Well, I think for me, I think if you if you understand how he was raised and what he didn't have growing up in terms of a childhood, anybody with a with a heart would say, you know. Would I want that childhood? Would I want to be would I want to be pushed that way by my parents? I don't know. And then I think you get to the other end of the spectrum and when things come apart for him, when the cheating scandal is exposed and all these women are coming out of the woodwork and he has to go to a sex therapy facility and check himself in and and then he has to sit with his wife in therapy and confess all the things he's done. And then he's got to stand up in front of the whole world and he's got to admit it to the whole world. I mean, ask yourself, could you do that? I mean, I, I'm just saying that I think that people. Okay. That's fair. I, that's fair. Yep. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not giving him a free, I'm not giving him a pat on the back for um, having these extramarital relationships. What I am saying is, you have to put yourself – it's why we wrote the book from Tiger's point of view, as LeBron is written from LeBron's point of view. So often we look at these things from our own point of view and not from the point of view of the subject that we're reading about or writing about. If you look at the world through Tiger's point of view, it, it gets – I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to start to understand, oh – I think I I sort of understand why he is like that. Maybe there's a reason that he comes across rude when a reporter puts a camera or a recorder in front of his face or when someone sticks a pad and paper in front of him 
and ask for an autograph after he's been poked in the face by ballpoint pens. It, you start to say, you know, I never have to deal with that. If I go to a restaurant, I don't have to worry about someone coming up in the middle of my dinner with my wife and shoving something into my face. It That is his life. And so you see a lot of behaviors that are designed to um, protect against that. And that, that's all we were trying to do with Tiger is not excuse anything, but just try to put some context around it. And actually, it's, it's an incredible book. Like, I... I would, you know, it's definitely worth reading. Those are very fair points, and 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 thank you for, for for that perspective. It's really interesting. Uh, again, the book is called LeBron. Um, you know, I tried to spend as much of my time as I could, um, on basketball, um, and and on the court things. Of course, there's many off the court things that define LeBron and and have been part of his story, especially more recently. Um, there's also things like the the decision and the mistake there. Um, there's interesting things about his interactions with reporters. Um, we're huge Lee Jenkins guys here. Um, Lee, yep. Lee was incredible to me over the years um, and still is a friend. He's been on this show 20 times. Uh, wow. Including including the day that he broke the LeBron story. He made time for me when he was the <laughs> biggest. He was the biggest dude in the world, and he still made time for me. Uh, so That's I, great. I, I love Lee. Wanted to mention him. Give him a shout out. Um, so there's a lot here we didn't get to, um, but I got to ask you a couple quick ones real quick. So you spent so much time in this, and we kind of touched on it earlier, but after spending so much time in the LeBron world, where do you stand in the LeBron-Jordan debate? You know, I, I just think that Michael said it best when he was at the pinnacle of his career and he was being compared to Bill Russell as the greatest of all time, and Michael took umbrage with that and just said, you know, I don't, I don't, he didn't want to be compared to Russell. And he, he didn't think it was appropriate because as he put it, they played in different eras. The game was dramatically different when Russell played than when Michael played. And he didn't feel worthy of being in the, you know, being compared that way to Russell. And I, I think that that is a good way to look at LeBron and Michael. I, I think that Michael and LeBron have proven themselves to be the true the two greatest players that have ever played the game. Um, the debate will go on forever over which one's better, but I think LeBron has left, as a biographer, I would focus on the fact that LeBron has left a much bigger footprint than Michael because Michael's footprint is limited to basketball and sneakers, and that's, that's not a put-down. Those are huge things. But LeBron's imprint involved so many other areas of the world that he's engaged in and impacted. Do you think that hurts him a little bit, being so polarizing like that, um, one way or another? It, well, the way it hurts him, if you want to characterize it that way... And that's is, maybe not the best word. Uh, no, I, yeah. I think it's a, fair, it's a fair word if you're looking at it from the standpoint of Michael remained neutral right. his whole career. Republicans buy sneakers too. Allegedly, Republicans, that's a quote, right? Allegedly. No, well, no. He acknowledged in the last dance that he did say oh, that. Okay, okay. He is officially so, said he said that now. Okay, my yeah, bad. He, yeah. he said it, but he said it in a little bit in jest, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that we all know that regardless of what Michael said, we know what Michael did, which is nothing. Right. He he purposely avoided politics. It was a conscious decision. He has spoken about it. And the 
he really riled up the civil rights leaders of his time who were really angry with him. People like the Reverend Jesse Jackson, they did not like the fact that Michael wouldn't get involved. But sports fans didn't care. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why Michael was universally loved by sports fans because he was just a basketball player who was so entertaining you couldn't look away. He was universally loved by almost everyone but those civil rights leaders, right? I mean, that's right. who the, didn't the, love him? I mean, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so LeBron made a decision, a conscious decision, knowing that he would alienate a certain segment of the American population, but he did it anyways because he thought it was the right thing to do. And if you look at his role models, he looks at people like Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, Arthur Ashe, guys who actually did weigh in on civil rights, voting rights, human rights. LeBron's decided to walk that path. And I, I, to me, that's why I'm saying from a legacy standpoint, once he's retired and, and the further he gets away from being an active basketball player, I think what will happen with LeBron's legacy is it will be looked at in a similar way that Muhammad Ali's legacy changed and evolved after he retired. When he was a boxer, he was incredibly controversial. Half the country hated him. <laughs> so, right. but, but by the time Muhammad Ali got Parkinson's, everybody loved him. And, you know, his legacy now is he was one of the great civil rights leaders that will go down in the history of sports. And so uh, I think LeBron is headed in that direction. I think it might be a little harder for LeBron, and here's why. Um, th there's a few things. Like, you, you can't please everyone. I get that. Um, but you can obviously quickly call him to the table on the China stuff. Uh, sure. Uh, so there's that. Also, and I was surprised you didn't go into it a little bit more in the book, but the thing that is property in California, did that definitely happen? Did you do any reporting that confirmed that that definitely happened? When you say reporting, I mean, for that, I, I don't make a huge deal out of that incident. I do I do write about it because of when it right, happened. You just right? kind of mentioned it happened on a, right by the finals. Yeah. And, Right yeah, as the finals, right. and then I, I wrote about what LeBron said, but also, you know, the Los Angeles Times, uh, you know, it happened in their backyard, and the Los Angeles Times did do reporting on it. I relied on that. I didn't really question what the Los Angeles Times wrote about it. Okay. Uh, and to me, um, you know, it, it is interesting that LeBron... <laughs> well, he didn't see it, right? LeBron. Well, he yeah, he wasn't there. Right. Um, it, it's their, It was a second home. The family wasn't there. The family was in Ohio. They weren't living there. The cameras um, didn't work. It got covered really quick. Six months later, yeah. the LAPD said they didn't have any evidence that existed. Yeah, yeah, they investigated it, etc. But I, I just think that the the bigger criticism of LeBron is always going to be. You know that he he um, he promote. He's a big self promoter. He yep. you know, this that and the other. But people forget that Muhammad Ali was the master at that. You know he used Howard Cosell as a foil. They had it. They they both knew what the other one was doing, and they both were into it. Cosell loved it because it was great for Cosell. Ali loved it because he had Cosell basically. In his Ali was almost like a wrestling heel. 
He was fantastic. Right, he, but he was aware know, of it, right? Like he was self-aware. He, yeah, I mean, he watched. To- he was totally aware yeah. of it. He, yeah. he was using the platform that he had. He would brag openly about being the greatest. He called himself the greatest of all time, all the time. And at the time, people thought he was arrogant, that he had a huge ego. He was all those things. He did have all those things. And LeBron has those things. But I think that you got to look at people like Ali and LeBron for what they are, meaning they're entertainers. At the end of the day, they understand exactly what they're doing. And with that, they are going to get some criticism. But it, they're, they're, they're playing a different game. And I think that Ali mastered it. And I think LeBron has mastered it. Hmm. All right. Well, that's it. Hey, it's all in the book. Uh, you didn't shy away from anything. It's great stuff. I will probably agree to disagree on some of that. Not, not too terribly much. But, uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it, look, I, I love the book. I really do. Um, I love the high school stuff. It's incredibly interesting. Um, like I said, we didn't get to a lot of the NBA stuff. But. That's equally great. I tried to, you know, I only have so much time, so I tried to find something that in some of the under, other interviews with you didn't seem as, yeah. as covered. You know, didn't right. want you to go over the same six or seven things every time. I um, appreciate it. No, it's a great interview. Thanks yeah, for having me on. But I love the book. Uh, anything you want to plug or mention about where to go, where to find it, anything like that? No, I mean, we have, I have some right now. Uh, my website, jeffbenedict.com, has, you know, an unusual amount of, of content about LeBron that um, I wouldn't normally have up there. But there's this has just generated some really great stuff over yeah. the last month. And so I, I would say there. An incredible know. timing. You know, thumbs yeah. up to you in the book club to put it out. Wow, look at who's making another run, you know, through the yep. playoffs. Um, yeah. LeBron, you know, so couldn't come out at a better time. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this very last thing. Uh, what's next? You have your eyes on anything next or anything you've done? Yeah, but Tiger, yeah, or T- you won't talk about it. I know, but put, give us a clue. Put us in a direction somewhere. Do you want to do a team? <laughs> do you want to do a, another player? An era? What? What? Give us something. To, to, the to only on. the, yeah, the only direction I can give is that I'm I'm sticking with biographies. Okay, he is writing a new book. Is what he will tell us. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Uh, I'm losing my voice. I'm sorry. I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. Be well. Okay, bye. I want to thank Jeff Benedict, Nick Underhill, and Mike Triplett for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can also find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Also on that podcast feed is the 24-inch podcast at 24-inch podcast on Twitter, 24-inch podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to email me it's a look at the career of hulk hogan i do that with my daughter paula bennett and my good friend hollywood dave rollins we just put up an episode about wrestlemania one and the next one is going to be about hulk hogan's first match in msg against rick flair uh in late 1991 going into 1992 um all right one last thing for me today uh real quickly I don't have much of a voice, so I'm going to keep it short today. But 
you know, I was talking to Nick and talking to Jeff, or excuse me, uh, Nick and Mike, and thinking about the Saints a little bit more this week than I have recently. Uh, and I've also, on the side here, I've been working really hard to try to book Drew Brees for this show. And uh, I, email, I email or text or call his guy all the time uh, because he basically said to me that Drew would do the show, just not now. And this was back in September. And he said, you know, don't let me forget you. Stay on the radar and we'll, you know, we'll make it happen. Uh, and I believe him. So I'm sticking with it. And, um, you know, I'll reach out to him all the time, send him pictures, send him memories, send him thoughts. Uh, and this is what I was thinking about today. And that is Drew Brees' 400th touchdown pass. It came in a game against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. And it was early in the season and the Saints had not won yet. It was a, it was a bad start to the season. I think they were 0-3. They maybe were 0-4. Uh, and they're playing Dallas on Sunday night football. And the game is, is tied at 20 and ends. Uh, regulation ends. Go to overtime. So the game's tied at 20. Uh, Drew Brees is stuck at 200 and, uh, 399 touchdowns. Uh, you know, Al Michaels is on the call. It's Al and Chris when they did uh, Sunday Night Football. And uh, the Saints win the toss. And uh, they get the ball. And the first play uh, of the overtime from scrimmage is a wheel route to C.J. Spiller. And it goes all the way uh, for a touchdown. And Breeze becomes the fifth quarterback uh, to, 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 to throw for 400 career touchdown passes. 26-21 win over the Cowboys. Um, and this was the 2015 season. Uh, the other players who had done it at that point were Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, and Tom Brady, who at that point had 401. Um, so had just very recently, if not the week before, um, done it as well. Um, ESPN Stat and Info at the time said the 400 touchdown pass was the first of his career to occur in overtime. Uh, it was a 13-second overtime. That was it. Like I said, the one play to Stiller. Uh, he got three number nine, 399 earlier in the game. Uh, Josh Hill got that was also the 5,000th completion of his career. Um, so a great moment on the field. And I remember when the game ended, sitting on my couch. Now, it was uh, before Paula was born. Um, but if I do the math, I think Tammy may have been pregnant with her. Yeah. I th- yeah. I mean, it's October of 2015, and Paula was born in June of 2016. So, yeah, Tammy was pregnant with Paula. And she was sleeping, and the house was dark, and it was just me watching the game. And Tammy had to work in the morning. It's obviously pre-COVID, so she's getting up early. She's going to the office. And I'm watching the game, and I'm trying to be respectful of all that. And, uh, you know, I, I celebrated a little bit. Maybe not the way I would have if that was a, a 1 o'clock game that the Saints had won in overtime on an 80-yard touchdown pass to Steve, uh, to C.J. Spiller on a wheel route for Drew Brees' 400th freaking touchdown pass, right? But instead of going crazy, I remember being reflective. And I remember, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, crying a little bit and thinking, holy shit, you know, Drew Brees has been on my team since 2006. He has made every dream I've ever had as a football fan come true. 
and he's still making dreams I didn't even know I had come true. You know, I never believed I could watch the quarterback on my team become the all-time leading passer in terms of yards and touchdowns and completions and all the incredible records he broke. You know, I never thought I would have a quarterback on my team that would be a Super Bowl MVP and bring the Super the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy to Mardi Gras. You know, I just never thought about it. I never believed it could happen. I thought my team was destined to have the guys like Billy Joe Tobert or Billy Joe Tolliver or uh, Danny Werfel or Steve Walsh or Bobby Abier, who I do love, and or, or Aaron Brooks, who was better than people remember, or these guys who just were not Drew Brees. And these guys who had up to the point when he signed in 2006 had only been able to produce one NFL playoff win. The Saints joined the league in 1967, and when Drew Brees and Sean Payton came aboard in 2006, they had won one playoff game, a wild card win over the Rams in 2000. And I was sitting there and I thinking, I just want to thank God for bringing Drew Brees to my team. And I, and I think that was the first time I said, you better be appreciating this. Because someday, today, Drew's not going to be there anymore. And you're going to be talking about guys like Trevor Simeon and Jameis Winston and Ian Book and Derek Carr. Those are going to be the names that are playing quarterback for your team. And hopefully Derek Carr is, you know, the second best free agent signing the Saints ever have. That'd be great. Hopefully he makes the next dream come true. And I'll give him, give him a chance. But this is about that night and thinking about everything Drew had done for us and thinking about the fact that, you know, he was, our, he was, he was my guy. And he was on my team. And he played five more seasons after that. And the last bunch were great seasons uh, with a lot of wins, some really heartbreaking losses. Uh, We got cheated out of a Super Bowl appearance. We got beat by a miracle. We lost another game in overtime. Lost to Tom Brady. Tough losses. Um, but he gave us another incredible run. And, and I always say this, I just hope I enjoyed it enough. Um, because, you know, uh, the schedule came out and, and they're talking about, you know, the bills and the chiefs and the, the Bengals and all the teams that are on night games and the networks want this team. They want that team. And, you know, we were that team in the breeze era. We were one of those teams. We were that relevant. We were that important. We got to play on Thursday kickoff games and Monday night games and Sunday night games and Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was awesome. It was all because of nine. And I can't wait for the day when he he's on the show. I know it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. And when he is, I get to thank him. And, and, and he's got an unbelievable recall. And I just can't wait to just tell stories about that run. Uh, with him and thank him uh, because there's never going to be another athlete on my team who's impactful or as important as Drew Brees, Drew Brees was. Take that-